Welcome to Danny Houlihan's Irish Experience Podcast. Join Danny on a journey through the historical island of Ireland, its people and the wild Atlantic way, which is Ireland's last frontier. Experience the music and the culture that makes up the longest coastal driving route in the world. Now, please welcome your host, Danny Houlihan. Welcome to the Wild Atlantic Way on the banks of the Shannon River of the Balavinanown studio Welcome to Danny Houlihan's Irish Experience from the banks of the grassy Shannon River in North Kerry, Ireland. In this episode, I have travelled out from my base once again to a place steeped in history, legend and folklore and its people who made the area what it is today and the people who were forced into exile during the Great Irish Holocaust of 1846 and 47. My journey starts on the sandy strand near Corrigan, near Litter or Letter Strand, as we call it here in North Kerry, only a few miles from the lovely village of Astee, North Kerry, Ireland. As I look out at the majestic Shannon estuary in front of me, I stop and pause for a moment before I enter the beach. To my right is a lone gable and the ruins of a few stone buildings shrouded in ivy and brambles, once home to our ancestors, which have now nearly vanished from the landscape of the Shannon Estuary, which is slowly being eroded and taken by time and tide. But still, in the last stages of decay, highlights our people who lived here and who had to leave. This drives home what happened here in this area of North Kerry during the Great Irish Holocaust of 1846 and 47, from local sources. I have spoken to many people from this area over 20 years or so ago. A few words that were penned by a local person come to mind. Related to those who were living in this special place of Corrigan and left those many years ago. Quote, O Corrigan, my native place, the way you're situated, it gives me to relate. Your lands are all divided and your sons are far and wide from that lovely place they once called home down by the Shannon side. Unquote. These few words were penned, according to local sources, by a Welshman from the area. I have consulted the Ordnance Survey map of 1841 and I can identify houses. Many were there at that time. The great house of Litter or Letter was there and the Wren family, well known in the area and the Salmon Weir is marked on the OS maps of the period. Still to this day, one can experience the tranquility of the area with the sounds of birds, the sea and the sound of wind rustling in the trees in Corrigan, and the Shannon Estuary flowing on its way to the mouth. I'm just off the shoreline of Litter or Letter. I can see the high round tower of the monastic settlement of Scattery Island to my right, where once the chants of holy men 
and St. Senan echoed over the still Shannon tide. In the estuary, there's a sudden splash of dolphins at play. It's their home to their realm of the deep Shannon estuary. Letter is a beautiful beach that stretches its golden sand along the estuary into the adjoining Beale Beach. The nearby estuary is home to bottlenose dolphins and migrant waders and brankies. The beach also plays host to several resident species of bird life, which includes oyster catchers, curlews, dunlins, and various species of wildlife. In this area of letter, salmon was caught from early times in the weirs along the River Shannon, brought to the ice house and processed at rinds of letter. When cured and stored and then barreled, the barrels being made by local coopers in the area at the time, the produce was then placed on carts and either brought to Saline and Ballylongford when the tide was out, or to Lazelton to be moved on to Listole, then sold on. The beach stretches from Lither to Bale, where the high sandals could tell many a story of the Coast Guards and old Captain Dexter, the old Coast Guard, where once the hand of the military and O'Hare from Listole put to an end the famous Beale Fair and the total loss of revenue to the area. I have dealt with that in another podcast. Gone are the massive wooden jetties built back during the time of the O'Connor of Stuick. Only marks in the mud point to their location now, fading in time with every high tide that washes against the shoreline of Corrigan and Bale. I will cover Beale in another show, so keep a watch on my site for it. Leaving Letter and Corrigan, I travel back along the straight road, built by the Wrens according to locals in olden days to the main road. As I turn left, directly to my right is the old stone store, which according to local sources again was built by the Wren family way back in antiquity. I travel along the cultivated countryside with the chorus of wild birds in the air and the green open fields around me. This is Clar Nasadiva, the plain of the Black Waterfall, in her native tongue, Asti North Kerry Island. As I make my way to the bridge, the sound of water is all around me. It was in this area that the famous waterfall was located, but was blown out of it by the landlords for rock with black powder for building purposes. Asti takes its name from this waterfall and plain, Clar and Asadiva. The coastline of Asti, or Clar and Asadiva, the plain of the Black Waterfall, dates back to a period of hunter-gatherer, an ancient shore-dweller, 7,000 to 4,000 BC. Buried deep within the estuary mud deposits along the coastline of Asti are the ancient wooden weirs used to trap fish thousands of years ago. Wooden poles from these ancient weirs have been found from time to time from Asti upwards to Ballylongford. As the land has suffered from coastal erosion, from the removal of peat from the land, and the high oak and ash and other thriving trees that once adorned the landscape of lovely Asti, these sites have been lost to the sea. This destruction was done by subsequent clearing of peatlands 
during the Elizabethan period onwards to make room for cattle rather than crop cultivation, which was carried out in the area by local people before the English occupation. The turf near Asti, or peat, was all cut away, dried and brought by horse and cart when the tide was out, along the coastline of Asti to Saline Pier, and then to Limerick to be sold. I have, during my research, found evidence still to this day of this peat removal along the coastline of Asti. Sections of peat deposits still can be seen along the coastline, though very eroded and exhausted. During the course of my research for this episode, I walked along the coastline from Beale to Asti. Even to this day, the stumps from the old oak trees can be seen, 45 to 70 metres from the Asti coastline, buried deep within the estuary mud and covered by high tide. I have consulted maps that are available from the Trinity College estate, which marks a large wood from Beale skirting the coastline of Asti to Ballylongford thus proving the existence of a large woodland in the area and where the local population would have lived in earlier times. Found buried within the bogs of the Mahinal in the 1940s at a depth of between 7 to 9 feet, antler remains of the red Irish deer which once roamed the lands of Asti were found, thus indicating the area was inhabited by deer and also human settlement thousands of years ago. Asti also has dotted on its landscape the homes of its ancestors, the Ringfort of Ra. These date to the Iron Age and early Christian period. With the advancing Norman conquest of North Kerry during the 11th and 12th centuries, the O'Connors, descendant of Ciar, first king of Kerry, moved their location from the high rocky cliffs of Dune from their strategic base of Dune Point of Reart Nafila on Dune Promontory Fort Ballybunion to establish their new stronghold on the Clore Anasadiva, as I've stated before, the Plain of the Black Waterfall, now the beautiful place we all love called Asti, County Kerry, Ireland. This move was set into motion by the chieftain of the day of the O'Connor Kerry clan to strengthen his hand along the famous Shannon Estuary. Also, due to the suitable tidal waters around Clore Anasadiva, Asti, allowed the O'Connor chieftain safe passage across the mighty Shannon Estuary to the O'Brien stronghold of County Clare. It was during this period that the O'Connor chieftain of the day constructed a strong castle for defensive and strategic purposes on the banks of the Shannon, which took the name Koshlan Asadiva, the castle of the Black Waterfall, and being close to the Shannon Estuary, afforded an easy crossing to O'Brien's of County Clare. Later the clan moved again to their new stronghold of Carrigafoyle and Bally Longford. It was related to me many years ago by a local man that the stone from the castle was used in the building of houses in Asti. Thus a part of the famous castle is still there and saved for future posterity. It has been related that several kings of the ancient kingdom of Kew ruled from Koshlan Asadiva Asti County Kerry before the O'Connors moved on to Carrigafoyle and Bally Longford. In local tradition, in the Asti area, one story that has been handed down over the years is that of one O'Connor chieftain who built a fleet of warships at the castle in Koshlan Asadiva, or Asti, using local boat builders and craftsmen, then placed wheels under them and pulled them by oxen across the plains of North Kerry to the banks of Loch Lane in Killarney, 
to attack the O'Donoghues. I have consulted in relation to this episode the Manuscripts and Archives Research Library of Trinity College in Dublin, which are fascinating and show the extent of the woodland and bogland in the area of Asti and Pomahainal. Reference number IE TCDMUNME slash 3. The Thomaheinal area is mentioned, and the tenant at that time under Trinity College Dublin. And now we see their real position not a landlord, but a tenant, who was a Captain William Sands in the year of 1761. The woodland there had an acreage of 28 acres, one road, and eight perches. Quote There is a considerable wood of oak, ash, and other timber trees thriving. Tomahainal House was well known in the area of Asti in bygone times and its colourful history in relation to the Blackard Douglas, tenant-style landlords. When it was built, we do not know at present. Subtenants and occupiers paid their rent to the tenant-style landlord or gentry there. If not, the rents were collected by agents on horseback. The land in the area was owned by Trinity College Dublin as we have seen in the documents and maps from the period. And under that institution, such tenants were a George Sands, a St. John John T. Blackard Douglas, Maxwell V. Blackard Douglas, and mentioned is George Hewson in 1896, were tenants, like many of their time in North Kerry. Nothing remains of the old house, which was levelled to the ground a few years ago, due to its decaying, rotten condition this levelling was done successfully with a belt of a digger bucket. The building was the former residence, as I've stated before, of Maxwell V. Blackwood Douglas and his father, thus ending the days and nights of a landlord house in the area of Asti forever, and this colourful history. Prior to this family, the Sands were tenants on the land, holding much of the lands under Trinity College, as I've stated before with other source of reference. Also mentioned, in other surveys or census of the time, found in the year of 1659 in Asti, A-S-D-Y, as we know as Asti, a John Edmund and a John Hill were tenants in the area. When I walk from Asti through Tunnelheinel and on to Lizelton, I always experience the beauty of the area. Oh, it's fabulous. But at the same time, I can get a sense of the people who were here and are gone, and their plight. Just beyond the Catholic Church in Asti, followed the signpost from the main road for the Holy Well. Continue along the scenic country road to a bridge. Just beyond the bridge to your left is the famous well, Tuberone, or the Blessed Well. A visit to the well in Asti when you visit Ireland and will be an experience itself. It's well worth it. The famous well is known by its locals as Tuberone, and from the Ordnance Survey Sheet of the area, we read the name in the townland of Asti West. Rounds are made at the well during specific times of the year, such as Sunday before the 1st of May and Sunday before St. John's Day, which is a great tradition in the locality of Asti, and this tradition is well respected. Once rounds are over, people meet up. It's an occasion to catch up with the neighbours, a tradition proud to the area. Before leaving the well, as can be seen today, one can see pieces of cloth left behind on the trees as an offering. Tuberone is known locally for its curative powers for healing the eyes. Water is rubbed onto the effective eye or eyes to cleanse them from soreness or infection. Legends of Tuberone. Tradition relates 
that during Mass being celebrated by St. Owen, near the well in ancient times, lookouts in the area reported the sounds of English horsemen and soldiers approaching the area of the Mass. The congregation became worried at the prospect of a confrontation, but St. Owen told them not to be afraid, and when he had Mass finished, the priest mounted his horse, which rose up into the clear air of Bastille and transported the priest away from the harm of the priest hunters and landed on Knuffinore Hill a distance away. I have visited the well many a time. It's a feast of the senses. The quietness is an experience to behold, a special place to meditate at Tuberone in Astee. This is indeed a discovery place on the famous Wild Atlantic Way route. I recommend a visit to Astee when you fly into Kerry Airport, Shannon Airport, Cork Airport, or your visit to us in Kerry in Ireland. Now, if you want to see the well, I made a pilgrimage to it a few years ago with my pipes and played a tune next to the famous well. So if you want to see the place, check out my YouTube channel. I leave the famous well behind me and return in the direction of the bridge. This is another hidden gem, another place long ago where people would meet up. This area was once very populated with our ancestors, but due to the Irish Holocaust of 1846 and Black 47, known as the Famine, many had to take the coffin ships from Tralee, while others were left to die along or within the old mud wall and timber cabins that dotted the scenic coastline of Bastille and the Shannon Estuary. The lovely village of Bastille has many historical associations with its past and the landscape, and also its links to Jesse James Outlaw, whose ancestor John James lived in a place called Snugborough, Astee. James's family arrived in Astee from England way back in antiquity. This is well known to our local people in the area of North Kerry. Even when I went to school, we knew about it. From all handwritten documents in the area from the 1950s, it mentions the James family, who later left the area of Astee to the United States of America in poor times, around the 1840s. This is known locally and the association with the famous outlaw. Jesse James was born in Kearney, Missouri in 1847 and went on to become one of the most famous outlaws in American history. Jesse James's granddad, according to our local history, was a John James and his family who resided in a wooded area in a place called Snugborough Astee. Next to a river that flowed into the Shannon Estuary into Bunnaclugger Bay. A wooded area, you might say, Danny. But when visiting Asti in modern times, there's no wood. Oh, but that is where you have to go back in time and then go forward into the future for evidence. Before my visit to Asti, I consulted Trinity College maps of Asti, or Astean as it was called back then. Behold, there in view is a large wood stretching from Beale to Ballylongford and along the coastline of Asti. Could I add more evidence? A few weeks later, I took a planned walk using Ordnance Survey maps during the pre-production of this episode and following the coastline from Litter to Clunaman off the coast of Astee. There I found in the mud, which could be seen in clear light, the cut stumps from oak trees from the woods buried in the mudflats at a distance of 45 metres from the shoreline. Thus the suggestion that the James family lived in a wooded area and a wood cabin was indeed possible. The two connections were John James of Snugborough and his son Frank, born in Snugborough 
and later emigrated in poor times. An old document from the 1950s, which I have seen and studied, which was old and tattered, recorded a few events from Astee and written down, as I said, in the year of 1950. Quote, Father was born in Snugborough. My brother knew Jesse James in America. Unquote. A local man from Mastee who had immigrated related this fragment of a story of meeting Jesse James. Quote, Son to a man who lived in Mastee. Unquote. Are these the words of Jesse James? We shall never know. The fragment of the story goes on to relate that the Northern Army burned Jesse's father's house. He took an oath that he'd kill everyone that he did. Unquote. This is from the old document I looked at. The fragment of the story goes on to mention the James's house in SD and Jesse's father. Quote, Some trace of a house there yet. Hear old people saying that their father remembered Jesse's father lived in Snugborough. Unquote. The fragment of the story goes on again. And it goes on to relate, which is very important, actually neighbours of the Jameses in Snugborough SD. Quote, Jer Connor's father told me, live beside Jesse's father. McConnell's father was a neighbour of James's, left in bad times, unquote. Now, I have gone back first and consulted Griffith's valuations of the tenements by Richard Griffith in 1851, and there is listed a John James holding land in Asti East, a sub-tenant from a Barry Collins, who was a tenant at that time. And according to this document, John James held an acreage of 102 acres of land and four purchase. John James then rents land down to other occupiers. We read of the people of the area of Bastille at that time, which is very important to all of us to this day as we get close to our people who are mostly gone from the area. The names we read that are renting land from John James and Bastille were a Mary Maloney, who had a house and garden, 28 purchase, a Thomas Handy, who was renting lands from John James, a house and land, which was valid at zero acres, one road and 25 purchase, a Patrick Fitzgerald, who had a house and land in 1851, four acres, two roofs and 20 perches. Now we read of a Michael Mulvihill, house and land, one acre, zero rood and 22 perches. I break just to mention that the Mulvihill family are still there to this day in that area, it should be noted. I move on again. With John James and the people here in Slanta, quote, Mary Collins, who at that time in 1851 had a house and land, one acre, zero rood, and 22 perches. Eileen Dinehan had a house and garden which had zero acres, zero roofs, but 22 perches, unquote. Listing out all these names, I'm doing so for a reason. Number one, it will be of interest to our Irish diaspora in the United States of America, Australia, Canada, and around the globe, whose people came from that area of SD in those bygone times. It might shed some light. Secondly, I'm working my way from the present area of the village in SD back to where John James lived in Snugborough those many years ago. What I'm looking for is a name, linking with the fragment references I quoted earlier from that old document from the 50s, which mentions the James family and their neighbours. I have a match. In the Griffiths valuation in 1851, as I quoted before, Jerk Connors was a neighbour of the Jameses in Snugborough, as stated in the old manuscript. In the valuations, there is a, quote, Jer Connor, who is renting three acres, three roofs, and 29 perches from John James, unquote. So there is a match with the old references. 
He goes on to mention more local people that the Jameses were renting land to. Quote, A James Enright was renting land from James, also Mary Collins, renting land, two acres, three roads and zero purchase. And last on the list is Thomas Casey, who was renting in 1851, two acres, three roads and zero purchase. These were some of the neighbours of the James family near Snugborough. Due to time constraints, I have left out the total valuations, just to concentrate on the acreage for the moment and what they found. For the rest, I will go back in another episode. Not satisfied with this, I took a look back at the title Plotman's books for the era of Ahavalian and Barry Longford. There, under the area of Astee, for paying of the tithe, we can see John James is mentioned, having first arable, and the acreage was 30 acres, two inferior arable, he had 45 acres, three roads and 15 perches, third course marshy arable, 75 acres, three roads and 15 perches. The total John James was paying for the tithe to the established church of the time was £5, 45 shillings and 0 pence. Now, while I'm here on this part of the trawl from the area of SD, the old document, as I said, quotations, links with Griffiths. Names from the past. Somebody out there might have ancestors on this list, so here we go, it might be of interest to you. Heading the tithe list was John James, a John Deanahan, Edward Horrigan, or Harrigan, Thomas Casey, Thomas McKelligate was there, a Thomas Collins was there, and a Robert and Michael Joy was living in the area at that time. Now this is where the tide links with a name from the old document and Griffiths, sharing land near James, is John Wiley, and Jor Connor, who as I stated was a neighbour of John James. Also there was Mr Gorham or Gorman, who had a meadow. Where all these people lived, it should be noted, was a great area for fishing, wild Irish salmon in the Shannon Estuary, which was teeming with fish. So apart from sheep, crops and imports arriving into the area, coupled with local trades around SD, it was in times past a very wealthy area for its people. However, from the 1840s onwards, what was a very peaceful, happy, prosperous place for its people turned into a nightmare. All we know is that during that particular period, the James family were very good to their neighbours and left in poor times. So John James and his family were living in Snugborough along the banks of the Shannon River. Are there any more links to the James family in Astee? Yes, there is a few. It has been related that John James had no time for the Holy Well and its reputed cures. Until one day in Astee, where he resided at Snugborough, a female worker, or maid, got ill and was brought to the well to be cured. Due to some ailment relating to her eyes, she was cured. Later, James brought his horse to the well to drink from it, thinking it would cure the horse's blindness. However, the tale went on to relate that later that day, a sad sight was seen near the holy well in Astee, with the horse leading James from the well, James having lost his sight, a local tale. Another story about John James, which was related to me many years ago by the late great father Pat Moore, was that when a moonlighter was being hung in the area, John James would get dressed up in his full suit and tackle his horse and trap in SD and proceed to the place of hanging, sometimes miles within the North Kerry countryside. John James would watch the proceedings with great interest until the poor soul was prepared for hanging by the hangman. When hung, James would clap loudly when the executioners finished the execution of the poor soul. 
John James was well known in Snugborough by his neighbours, and it has been handed down from generation to generation a description of the man, of his physical features. Quote, described as having deep eyes with a receding hairline, unquote. The last known account of John James and that of his family. It has been related that as John James walked away along the dirt road with his family and belongings from his Shannon side home, it was said he stopped and looked back sadly in the direction of the house in Astee and said, quote, Goodbye, Snugborough, and snug you are, unquote. It was related to me many years ago that one of John James's daughters was by the name Susan and that she was married locally and that of another daughter. I'll continue my research on this. It is well known over the years that members of the James ancestry have visited Astee in our Kerry, continuing the link with Snugborough and the Jameses. I will dig deeper into John James in the future, so keep a watchful eye out on my updates. Now leaving John James, Robert and Jesse aside for the moment, I move on to another period in Astee in 1886. And a few names. Like other rural places in North Kerry, Astee emerged from the Great Irish Holocaust of 1846 and Black 47, with many of its older people dead and younger people forced to immigrate, both male and female, to America, Australia and other far-off places from the land of Clore on Asadiva, as I have quoted in the earlier poem about Corrigan. Indeed, I have to say, it was a hard task for the remaining few farmers to cultivate the land which had been totally stripped by nature, sea, and the retreating tenant-style landlords were cut down all the oak woods and bog for financial gain to the west and east of Astee. These farmers had to bring loads of seaweed and manure to place on the land, which at that stage had its top coat of bog harvested, dried and transported to Limerick. Also the local farmers who endeavoured to shore up the coastline, which they are still doing today, this took over a hundred years, and it's a credit to them for doing so. Over the years, I've had many inquiries from people, as far away as South Africa, names such as Joy or Joyce, who immigrated to South Africa during the period from Karakdarig, and ancestors from California, etc., who were descendants of John James from Snugborough, just below the Holy Well, all have visited Astee, all have found memories of their old home place of Astee on the banks of the Shannon. Indeed, more and more will return to Asti in the future due to more historical data being found, such as updated shipping records and family ancestry traits, all yielding names of those who were in Asti and along the shoreline before the Great Irish Holocaust of 1846 and 47 took place. Cutting through the area of Asti is the famous Shannonway walking route, which penetrates deep into the rich countryside of Astee, Conocanore, and Ballylongford and Tarbert. This long-range walking route is a must for any walker. In fact, I have walked several sections of this, which is an asset to Astee and its surrounding area. If marketed properly, it will bring in tourism and guest accommodation along the Wild Atlantic Way route, which makes its way to the beautiful village of Astee. In 1886, a directory of places were compiled by Samuel Lewis which gives us a snapshot of Asti in that year. This is unique and identifies its people that were living and cultivating the area and its farmers, who are now on the lands of Clore and Asadiva, Asti, the plain of the Black Waterfall. Quote, the post office, 
parish of Ahavalin is situated close to the River Shannon, six miles from Ballybunnan. The population of Asti, according to Lewis, in 1886 was quoted 125 people, unquote. The postal address was Asti, Limerick, located in Ballylongford, was the nearest money order, and had a telegraph office. In charge was a Patrick Moore. Conveniences, the nearest railway station was at Listole. It goes on to mention the gentry and the clergy of the area. This would be of an insight to anybody whose ancestry was from SD. Quote, George G. Hewson Tomahinal, Justice of the Peace, Reverend P. O'Leary, C.C., Reverend Eugene O'Sullivan, Bally Longford, Leslie Wren, Justice of the Peace, that would be letter. Unquote. It should be noted that there is no mention of Willem van der Doer Blacker Douglas by Lewis. Has he moved on to Dublin? Was the land rented out to Houston during that period? Education in Asti was covered in the area with a national school. Quote, head teacher in the mail was noted as, quote, Bartholomew O'Connor, and the head in the female was Mrs. P. O'Connor, unquote. In 1886, Asti had four shopkeepers, Robert Cahill, Patrick Hassan, Patrick Moore, and a John English. These shops catered to the surrounding area of Asti, which was developing after the Great Irish Holocaust of 1846 and 47. Some of the farmers that were in Asti in the year of 1886, quote, Morris Carroll, Tuanaman, Michael Connor, Asti, Patrick Thomas Connor, Kilcoleman, Robert Philip Cox, Tuanaman, John Delan, Asti, Patrick McNamara, Thurrock Patrick Mahoney, Asti, Nicholas Mulvihel, Asti, Patrick M. O'Connor, Corrugdarig, Patrick T. O'Connor, Corrugdarig, Willem O'Connor, Corrigan, Patrick O'Shea, Lunamon, John Stack, Sliss, Willem Wharton, Tom Heinel. Also mentioned is an Edmund Stack on the Beale boundaries, unquote. An insight into the trades of the Asti area in 1886, we can get a picture of the area. There was a cooper there by the name of Eugene Maloney, and there was a bootmaker there, making boots and shoes by the name of John English. And there was the important trade of blacksmith and farrier at Corrigdarig by John Boyle, unquote. These names might be of interest to you, as your ancestors might have come from this part of North Kerry. Today, the lovely village of Astee is one of the most progressive in Ireland, with active developments consistently ongoing by its community. It's a place to stop, and indeed stay in the area of Asti, as there is fantastic accommodation in the area. I hope you've enjoyed our brief visit to Asti. Again, this is just but a taste. I'll be back in the future again, but before I leave the Shannon side, I leave with a few words written by the late great Father O'Keefe Masti, historian, documentary producer, and a friend to all. May he rest in peace. And also to the memory of the late Father Pat Moore, an old friend that used to ring me at four in the morning many years ago to play my bagpipes on Conochanor for the Easter Mass, which he celebrated. Sadly, events like this are gone now, like the going tide on the Shannon Estuary, but leave us with memories that will last with us forever. Please note, I have used as much source information as I could get for this podcast, including newspaper clippings and old documents. I will update it all in the future accordingly and add more names, etc. Until we meet again along the Shannon side, bye for now. The waves from the Atlantic 
and gliding up the shore, past Lick and Beale Sandals, and on to Little Road. I can see them as they scatter their story on the beach, as I sit upon a hillside in Koshlan Asadi. The waves from the Atlantic are bringing home to me the voices of lost mankind who vanished from my view. We walked the roads together. We spent our youthful years on the hillside by the Shannon in Koshlan Asadi. And then they vanished one by one. They did not say goodbye. We may have met them once or twice. Some summers they were home. But they were gone and we were gone as though we'd never been. The waves of time had washed our feet from Koshlan Asadi. I sit upon the hillside now. My feet are too tired to roam. I've wandered far, but what of that? What use is fame or gold? The Shannon whispers to itself, but few are left to hear. They've laid their bones too far from home, from Koshlan Asadi. Thanks for listening to our show. Through its people, its heritage and its rugged coastline, this is truly Danny Houlihan's Irish experience. Bye for now.